All right, you guys. I think we found us a good, interesting read here. Hot topic. You, I don't want you to make this Tom is getting too excited. The Gentleman's Book of Etiquette. Laughing my ass off, bro. What's up? Men only answer. All right. And Manual of Politeness. Thank you, Lilu. Being a complete guide for a gentleman's conduct in all his relations towards society. Get it. Thanks, Justin Crypto. Containing rules for the etiquette to be observed in the street, at the table, in the ballroom, evening party, and morning call. With full directions for polite correspondence, dress conversation, manly exercises, and accomplishments. Thanks for the mushrooms. From the best French, English, and American authorities. By who? Cecil B. Hartley. Stamped by the City of Washington Library of Congress, Philadelphia, G.G. Evans, publisher, number 439 Chestnut Street, 1860. Also handwritten by B.J., 1855. H3. Park fluent. I adore you. Entered according to the Act of Congress in the year 1860 by G. G. Evans in the clerk's office of the District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Handwritten 09-30584. Hey, what's up? Kira Vampak. Nifty. I love it. Wrap it. It's a wrap. Introductions are next. Man. Man was not intended to live like a bear or a hermit apart from others of his own nature. And philosophy and reason will each agree with me that man was born for sociability and finds his true delight in society. Society is a word capable of many meanings and used here in each and all of them. Society par excellence, the world at large, the little click to which he is bound by early ties, the companionship of friends or relatives, even society, tete a tete, with one dear sympathizing soul, are pleasant states for a man to be in. Ooh, Jesus, what's up, Ave Maria, 62. Taking the word in its most extended view, it is uh, the world. What's up, Bongo? But in the light we wish to impress in our book, it is the smaller world of the changing, pleasant intercourse of each city or town in which our reader may chance to abide. Uh, This society, composed as it is of many varying natures and elements, where each individual must submit to merge his own identity into the universal whole yeah it looks pretty what's up sage which makes the word and state is divided and subdivided into various cliques and has a pastime for every disposition grave or gay 
and with each division rises up a new set of forms and ceremonies to be observed, if you wish to glide down the current of polite life smoothly and pleasantly. You trying? Good, uh, good one, cherub girl. Number one, fresh. The young man who makes his first entrance into the world of society should know how to choose his friends, and next, how to conduct himself towards them. Experience is, of course, the best guide. But at first, starting, this must come secondhand, from an older friend or from books. A judicious friend. What's A's? Fabrice. Lauren Galandin. Did I get it right? I don't know. A bandica? Okay, great. Appraised? Sure. King BC? Fresh. Yes. Christian Vu. What's up, Threads? 2000 something. You will win eventually. And something in Chinese. Okay, great. A judicious friend is the best guide. Judicious is best. But how is the young man to know whom to choose? Anna. When at home, his friend, this friend, when at home, uh-huh, this friend, uh-huh, Rumi, is easily selected. But in this country, where each bird leaves the parent's nest as soon as his wings will bear him safely up, there are but few who stay amongst the friends at home. What's up, Jared? Next, then, comes the instruction from books. True, a book will not fully supply the place either of experience or friendly advice. Still, it may be made useful and carefully written from the experience of hands grown gray in society with only well-authenticated rules. It will be a guide, not to be despised by the young aspirant for favor in polite and refined circles. You go into society from mixed motives. All right, let me finish page four. Part. Yes, get ready and stop bothering me. Get asked, Daddy. Don't ask me. Don't ask me anything. When you're ready to go, it only takes me two seconds. You go into society from mixed motives, partly for pleasure, recreation after the fatigues of your daily routines, and partly that you may become known. In a Republican country where one man's opportunities for rising are as good as those of any other, ambition will lead every rising man into society. You may set it down as a rule that as you treat the world, so the world will treat you. Rhiannon's place. Carry into the circles of society a refined, polished manner and an amiable desire to please. And it will meet you with a smiling grace and lead you forward pleasantly along the flowery paths. Go, on the contrary, with a brusque, rude manner 
startling all the silky softness before you will cut and thrust remarks. Carry only the hard realities of your life in your hand, and you will find society armed to meet you, showing only sharp corners and thorny places for your blundering footsteps to stumble against. You will find in every circle that etiquette holds some sway. Her rule is despotic in some places, in others, mild. And easily set aside. Thanks for being here. Your first lesson in society will be to study where she reigns supreme, in her crown and holding her scepter, and where she only glides in with a gentle hint or so, and timidly steps out if rebuked. And let your conduct be governed by the result of your observations. You will soon become familiar with the signs. And tell on your first entrance into a room whether kid gloves and exquisite finish of manner will be appropriate. Or whether it is, hail fellow, well met, sup, with the, you know, inmates. Remember, however, quote, once a gentleman, always a gentleman, unquote. And be sure that you can so carry out the rule that in your most careless, joyous moments, when freest from the restraints of etiquette, you can still be recognizable as a gentleman by every act word, or look. Avoid too great a restraint of manner. Stiffness is not politeness. And while you, can, while you observe every rule, you may appear to heed none. Hypocrite. To make your politeness part of yourself, inseparable from every action, is the height height of gentlemanly elegance and finish of manner. Thank you, Ocean's World. Table of contents. We have five chapters. Introductions. Then chapter one is conversation. Chapter two is politeness. Chapter three is table etiquette. I'm starting him young. I, I need help here. He's only three, but I got to start him young. Right? Yeah, you got me. Okay, great. Thanks, Paige. Chapter four, etiquette in the street. That's page 66. And then chapter five, etiquette for calling. All right, great, guys. Oh, there's more chapters. Oh, there's a lot more chapters. Uh, let's see. All right, next chapter would be chapter six. Etiquette for the ballroom. Oh, yeah. Page 91. Chapter 7, dress. Page 116. Chapter 8, manly exercises. Page 154. Chapter 9, traveling. Page 176. Chapter 10, etiquette in church. Page 183. Chapter 11, 100 hints 
for gentlemanly deportment. Page 186. Chapter 12. Parties. Oh, I like that. Right, Conscious? Dior Belvior. That's page 222 for you. Chapter 13. Courtesy at home. Yeah, you like the way it hits, rookie? Page 228. Chapter 14. True courtesy. You can live and work and just be an artist, too, you know. Page 244. Chapter 15. Letter writing. Page 252. Chapter 16. Wedding etiquette. Page 280. Chapter 17. Etiquette for places of amusement. Page 294. Okay, by you explaining, I would like to join this stressful meeting. Yes, sis. Yes, sis. Thank you, sir. Salute. Me too. Laughing out loud. My ass off. I sawed off. Hello. Chapter 18. What's up, Brian? Miscellaneous. Page 298. Pages. Page. Brian. Page. PB and J. I'm not even high yet. What's up? Th- yeah, we're just joking around here. We'll be right back with Gentlemen's Book of Etiquette. Whose line is it anyway? Chapter 1, Conversation. Page 1, 1. We'll be right back after I scratch my nose. Oh, now tell me now, tell me now, tell me now you know. me feel like I can't live without you and it takes me all the way I want you to stay
go by all of my life lying on the sand watching sea birds fly wishing there would be someone waiting home for me Oh yeah, this is 
that we What's it called? Elementary Mike the Mechanics. The what? In the living year. In generation. Rain's the one before. And all of your frustration <clears throat> comes beating down your door. I know that I all my friends and I'm so dear. I know that I'm so dear. I know that I'm so dear. I have told him in the living. Still the conversation. That's all we've got. Open up the quarrels between the present and the past.
aftershocks. One, conversation. One of the first rules for a guide to polite conversation is to avoid political or religious discussions in general society. 
Such discussions lead almost invariably to irritating differences of opinion, often to open quarrels and a coolness of feeling which might have been avoided by dropping the distasteful subject as soon as marked differences of opinion arose. But it is one out of many that can discuss either political or religious differences with candor and judgment, and yet so far control his language and temper as to avoid either giving or taking offense. In their place, in circles which have met for such discussions, a tete-a-tete conversation with a small party of gentlemen where each is ready for courteously to listen to the others, politics may be discussed with perfect propriety. But in the drawing room, in the dinner table, or at the dinner table, or in the society of ladies, these topics are best avoided. If you are drawn into such a discussion without intending to do so, be careful that your individual opinion does not lead you into language and actions unbecoming a gentleman. Listen courteously to those whose opinions do not agree with yours, and keep your temper. A man in a passion ceases to be a gentleman. Even if convinced that your opponent is utterly wrong, yield gracefully, decline further discussion, or dexterously turn the conversation, but do not obstinately defend your own opinion until you become angry or more excited than is becoming to a gentleman. Many there are who, giving their opinion, not as an opinion, but as a law, will defend their position by such phrases as, oh, well, if I were president or governor, I would, etc. And while both and while by the warmth of their argument, they prove that they are utterly unable to govern their own temper. They will endeavor to persuade you that they are perfectly competent to take charge of the government of the nation. Uh, retain, if you will, a fixed political opinion, a fixed one, yet do not parade it upon all occasions and above all, do not endeavor to force others to agree with you. <laughs> Listen calmly to their ideas upon the same subjects. And if you cannot agree, differ politely. And while your opponent may set you down as a bad politician, let him be obliged to admit that you are a gentleman. Wit in and vivacity. Yes, that's the right word. Vivacity. Viva. City are two highly important ingredients in the conversation of a man in polite society. Yet a straining for effect or forced wit is in excessively bad taste. There is no one more insupportable in society than the everlasting talkers who scatter puns 
witticisms and jokes with so profuse a hand that they become as tiresome as a comic newspaper and whose loud laugh at their own wit drowns other voices which might speak matter more interesting. The real witty man does not shower forth his wit so indiscriminately. His charm consists in wielding his most powerful weapon delicately and easily and making high each highly polished witticism come in the right place and moment to be effectual. <laughs> while real wit is a most delightful gift and its use a most charming accomplishment. It is, like many other weapons, dangerous to use too often. You may wound where you meant only to amuse and remarks which you mean only in for general applications may be construed into personal con affronts. So, if you have the gift, use it wisely and not too freely. The most important requisite for a good conversational power is education. And by this is meant not merely the matter you may store in your memory from all observation or books, no. Though this is of vast importance. Here, here. But it also includes, thank you very much, the developing, the developing of mental powers. Oh my. And above all, the comprehension. Yes? Yes. An English writer once said, A man should be able, in order to enter into conversation, to catch rapidly the meaning of anything that is advanced. For instance, though you know nothing of science, you should not be obliged to stare and be silent. <laughs> when a man who does understand it, explaining a new discovery or a new theory, though you have not read a word of Blackstone, <laughs> Oh my, your comprehensive powers should be sufficiently acute to enable you to take in the statement that may be made of a recent cause. Though you may not have read some particular book, you should be capable of appreciating the criticism which you hear of it. Without such power, simple enough and easily attained by attention and practice, yet too seldom met with in general society. A conversation which departs from the most ordinary topics cannot be maintained without the risk of lapsing into a lecture. With such power, society becomes instructive as well as amusing. And you have no remorse at an evening's end at having wasted three or four hours of profitless banter or simpering platitudes. Ah, this faculty 
of comprehension often startles us in some women whose education we know to have been poor and whose reading is limited. If they did not rapidly receive your ideas, they could not, therefore, be fit companions for intellectual men. And it is perhaps their consciousness of a deficiency which leads them to pay the more attention to what you say. It is this that which makes married women so much more agreeable to men of thought than young ladies, as a rule can be, for they are accustomed to the society of a husband, and the effort to be a companion to his mind has engrafted the habit of attention and ready reply." Unquote. The same author says, no less important is the cultivation of taste. If it is tiresome and deadening to be with people who cannot understand and will not even appear to be interested in your very better thoughts. It is almost repulsive to find a man insensible to all beauty and immovable by any horror. In the present day, an acquaintance with art, even if you have no love for it, is a sine qua non of good society. Music and painting are subjects which will be discussed in every direction around you. And it is only in bad society that people go to the opera, concerts, and art exhibitions merely because it is the fashion or to say that they have been there, oh. And if you confess to such a weakness in really good society, you would be justly voted a puppy. For this too, some book knowledge is indispensable. You should at least know the names of more celebrated artists, composers, architects, sculptures, and so forth, and should be able to approximate their several schools. So too, you should know pretty accurately the pronunciation of celebrated names, or if not, take care not to use them. It will never do to be ignorant of the names and appropriate ages of powerful composers, especially in large cities where music is so highly appreciated and so common in theme. It will be decidedly condemnatory if you talk of the new opera, Don Giovanni, or Rossini's Trovatari. If you talk of the new opera, Don Giovanni or Rossoni's Trovatore, or are ignorant, who composed uh, Fidelio. And in what opera occurred some common pieces as Siascun uh, Lodese or Il Segreto? I will not say that these trifles are indispensable, and when a man has better knowledge to offer, especially with genius or cleverness to back it, he will not. 
only be pardoned for an ignorance of them, but can even take a high tone and profess indifference or contempt of them. But at the same time, such ignorance stamps an ordinary man and hinders conversation. On the other hand, the best society will not endure the lectantism and whatever the knowledge of a, a man may possess of any art. He must not display it so as to make the ignorance of others painful to them. But this applies to every topic. The ignorance of those painful. To have only one or two subjects to converse on and to discourse rather than talk on them is always ill-bred. Whether the theme be literature or horse flesh. <laughs> oh my, the gentleman jockey will probably denounce the former as a bore and call us pedants for dwelling on it. But if, as is too often the case, he can bring us, he can give us nothing more general than the discussion of the points of a horse that perhaps we have never seen, he is as great a pedant in his way. Reasons play a less conspicuous part in good society because its frequenters are too reasonable to be mere reasoners. A disputation is always dangerous to temper and tedious to those who cannot feel as eager as the disputants. <laughs> a discussion, a discussion on the other hand, in which everybody has a chance of stating amicably and unobtrusively his or her opinion must be of frequent occurrence, yes. But to cultivate the reason Besides its high moral value. Yes, I'm yellow. It's fine. Thank you very much. Has, its, has the advantage of enabling one to reply as well as attend to the opinions of others. Nothing is more tedious or disheartening than a perpetual, yes, just so, and nothing more. Conversation must never be one-sided. Then again, the reason enables us to support a fancy or an opinion when we are asked why we think so to reply i don't know but still i think so is silly and tedious but there is a part of our education so important and so neglected in our schools and colleges that it cannot be too highly impressed on that young man who proposes to enter society i mean that which we learn first of all things yet often have not learned fully when death's, death eases us of the necessity. <laughs> the art of speaking our own language. Huh? What can Greek and Latin, French and German be for us in our everyday life, you may ask? Oh, if we have not acquired this, huh? We are often encouraged to raise a laugh at Dr. Syntext and the tyranny of grammar. But we may be certain 
that more misunderstandings and therefore more difficulties arise between men in the commonest intercourse from a want of grammatical precision than from any other cause. It was once the fashion to neglect grammar, as it now is with certain people to write in illegibly, yes. And in the days of Goeth, a man thought himself, himself a genius if he could spell badly. Ah, precision and accuracy must begin in the very outset. And if we neglect them in grammar, we shall scarcely acquire them in expressing our thoughts. But since there is no society without interchange of thought, and since the best society is that in which the best thoughts are interchanged in the best and most comprehensive manner, it follows that a proper mode of expressing ourselves is indispensable in good society. The art of expressing one's thoughts neatly and suitably is one which, in the neglect of rhetoric as a study, we must practice for ourselves. The commonest thought, well put, is more useful in a social point of view than the most brilliant idea jumbled out. What is well expressed is easily seized and therefore readily responded to. The most poetic fancy may be lost to the hearer if the language which conveys it is obscure. <clears throat> I need to drink something. After all, speech is the gift which distinguishes man from animals and makes society possible. He has but a poor appreciation of his high privilege as a human being who neglects to cultivate, quote, God's greatest gift of speech, unquote. As I am not writing for men of genius, but for ordinary beings, I am right to state that an indispensable part of education is a knowledge of the literature of the English language. But how to read is for society more important than what we read. The man who takes up nothing but a newspaper and reads it to think, to deduct conclusions from its premises, and form a judgment on his opinions is more fitted for society than he who, having all the current literature and devoting his whole time to its perusal, swallows it all without digestion. In fact, the mind must be treated like the body, and however great its appetite, it will soon fall into bad health if it gorges, but does not ruminate. At the same time, an acquaintance with the best cultural literature is necessary to modern society. And it is not sufficient to have read a book without being able to pass a judgment upon it. Conversation in literature is impossible when your respondent can only say, yes, I like the book, but I really don't know why. An acquaintance with old English literature is not perhaps indispensable. 
but it gives a man great advantage in all kinds of society, and in some he is at a constant loss without it. The same may be said of foreign literature, which in the present day is almost as much discussed as our own. But on the other hand, an acquaintance with home and foreign politics, with current history, and subjects of passing interest is absolutely necessary. And a person of sufficient intelligence to join in good society cannot dispense with his daily newspaper, his literary journal, and the principal. Reviews and magazines, the cheapness of every kind of literature, the faculties of our well-stored circulating libraries, our public reading rooms, and numerous excellent lectures on every possible subject, leave no excuse to poor or rich for an ignorance of any of the topics discussed in intellectual society. We may forget our Latin. Greek, French, German, and mathematics. But if you frequent good company, you will never be allowed to forget that you are a citizen of the world. Yeah. Unquote. A man of real intelligence and cultivated mind is generally modest. He may feel, when in everyday society, that in intellectual acquirements he is above those around him. But he will not seek to make his companions feel their inferiority, nor try to display this advantage over them. He will discuss with frank simplicity the topics state started by others, and endeavor to avoid starting such as they will not feel inclined to discuss. All that he says will be marked. By politeness and deference to the feelings and opinions of others, La Bruyere says, quote, "The great charm of conversation consists less in the display of one's own wit and intelligence than in the power to draw forth the resources of others." He who leaves you after a long conversation, pleased with himself and the part he has taken in the discourse, will be your warmest admirer. Men do not care to admire you; they wish to be pleased with you. They do not seek for instruction or even amusement from your discourse, but they do wish you to be made acquainted with their talents and powers of conversation. And the true man of genius will delicately make all who come in in contact with him feel the exquisite, exquisite satisfaction of knowing that they have appeared to advantage. Unquote. Having admitted the above to be an incontestable fact. You will also see that it is a gr- as great an accomplishment to listen with an air of interest and attention, as it is to speak well. To be a good listener is an indispensable, is as indispensable as to be a good talker, and it is in the good character of listener. That you can most readily detect the man who is accustomed to good society. Nothing is more embarrassing to anyone who is speaking than to perceive signs of weariness or inattention in the person whom he addresses. Never interrupt anyone who is speaking. It is quite as rude to officiously supply a name or date about which another hesitates.
unless you are asked to do so. Another gross breach of etiquette is to anticipate the point of a story which another person is reciting or to take it from his lips to finish it in your own language. Some persons plead as an excuse from this breach of etiquette that the reciter was spoiling a good story by a bad manner. But this does not mend the matter. It is surely rude to give a man to understand that he d- do not, that you do not consider him capable of finishing an anecdote that he has commenced. It is ill-bred to put on an air of weariness during a long speech from another person, and quite as rude to look at a watch and read a letter, flirt with the leaves of a book, or in any other action show that you are tired of the speaker or his subject. In a general conversation, never speak when another person is speaking and never try to raise your own voice to drown that of another. Rather, assume an air of haughtiness. Never, sorry, never assume an air of haughtiness or speak in a dictatorial manner. Let your conversation be always amiable and frank, free from every affection. Put yourself on the same level as the person to whom you speak and under penalty of being considerate, considered a pedantic, pedantic idiot, refraining from explaining any expression or word that you may use, never, unless you are requested to do so, speak of your own business or profession in society. To confine your conversation entirely to the subject or pursuit, which is your own specialty, is low-bred and vulgar. Make the subject for conversation suit the company in which you are placed. Joyous, light conversation may be at times as much of place, much out of place as a sermon would be at a dancing party. <laughs> Let your conversation be grave or gay as suits the time or place. In a dispute, if you cannot reconcile the parties, withdraw from them. You will surely make one enemy, perhaps two, by taking either side. In an agreement, in an argument, when the speakers have lost their temper. Never gesticulate in everyday conversation, unless you wish to be mistaken for a fifth-rate comedian. Never ask anyone who is conversing with you to repeat his words. Nothing is ruder than to say, Oh, pardon me, can you repeat that sentence? I I didn't hear you at first. And thus imply that your attention was wandering when he first spoke. Yeah, sorry about that. Never, during a general conversation, endeavor to concentrate the attention wholly upon yourself. 
It is quite as rude to enter into conversation with one of a group and endeavor to draw him out of the circle of general conversation to talk with you alone. Never. Listen to the conversation of two persons who have thus withdrawn from a group. If they are so near you that they cannot avoid hearing you, you may, with perfect propriety, change your seat. Make your own share in conversation as modest and brief as is consistent with the subject under consideration. And avoid long speeches and tedious stories. If, however, another, particularly an old man, tells a long story or one that is not new to you, listen respectfully until he has finished before you speak again. Speak of yourself but little. Your friends will find out your virtues without forcing you to tell them. And you may feel confident that it is e equally unnecessary to expose your faults yourself. I wish I knew that sooner. If you submit to flattery, you must also submit to the imputation of folly and self-conceit. In speaking of your friends, do not compare them with one another. Speak of the merits of each one, but do not try to heighten the virtues of one by contrasting them with the vices of another. No matter how absurd are the anecdotes, anecdotes that may be told in your presence, you must never give any sign of incredulity. They may be true, and even if false, good breeding forces you to hear them with polite attention and the appearance of belief. <laughs> to show by word or sign any token of incredulity is to give the lie to the narrator, and that is an un pardonable insult. Avoid in conversation all subjects which can injure the absent. A gentleman will never culminate or listen to calumny. Need I say that no gentleman will ever spoil his mouth with an oath? Above all, to swear in a drawing room or before ladies is not only indelicate and vulgar in the extreme, but evinces a shocking ignorance of the rules of polite society and good breeding. For a long time, the world has adopted a certain form of speech which is used in good society, and which, changing often, is yet one of the distinctive marks of a gentleman. A word, or even a phrase, which has been used among the most refined circles will sometimes be a sudden freak of fashion <laughs> from being 
caricatured in a farce or song or from some other cause go entirely out of use. Nothing but habitual intercourse with people of refinement and education and mingling in general society will teach a gentleman what words to use and what to avoid. Yet there are some words which are now entirely out of place in a parlour. Avoid a declamatory style. Some men, before speaking, will wave their hands as if commanding silence. And having succeeded in obtaining the attention of the company, will speak in a tone and style perfectly suitable for the theatre or lecture room, but entirely out of place in a parlour. Such men entirely defeat the object of society, for they resent interruption. And as their talk flows in a constant stream, no one else can speak without interrupting the pompous idiot who thus endeavours to engross the entire attention of the circle with around him. This character will be met with constantly and generally joins to the other disagreeable traits and egotism as tiresome as an ill-bred. The wittiest man becomes tedious and ill-bred when he endeavours to engross entirely the attention of the company in which he takes, he should take, a more modest part. Avoid such set phrases and use quotations, but rarely. They sometimes make a very poignant addition to conversation, but when they become a constant habit, they are exceedingly tedious and in bad taste. Avoid pedantry. Pedantry. It is a mark, not of intelligence, but of stupidity. Speak your own language correctly. At the same time, do not be too great a stickler for formal correctness of phrases. Never notice it if others make mistakes in language. To notice by word or look such errors in those around you is exceedingly ill-bred. Vulgar language and slang, though in common, unfortunately too common use, are becoming are unbecoming in anyone who pretends to be a gentleman. Many of the words heard now in the parlour and drawing room derive their origin from sources which a gentleman would hesitate to mention before ladies. Yet, they will make deadly use of the offensive word or phrase. <laughs> if you are a professional or scientific man, avoid the f use of technical terms they are in bad taste because many will not understand them. 
If, however, you consciously use such a term or phrase, do not then commit the still greater error of explaining its meaning. No one will thank you for thus implying their ignorance. In conversing with a foreigner who speaks imperfect English, listen with strict attention, yet do not supply a word or phrase if he hesitates. Above all, do not by a word or gesture show impatience if he makes pauses or blunders. If you understand his language, so Say so when you first speak to him. This is not making a display of your own knowledge, but is a kindness. As a foreigner will be pleased to hear and speak his own language when in a strange country. Be careful in society to never play the part of a buffoon. If you will soon become known as the funny man of the party, and no character is so perilous to their dignity as a gentleman. You lay yourself open to both censure and ridicule, and you may feel sure that for every person who laughs at you, they too are laughing. Uh, for every person who laughs with you, two are laughing at you. <laughs> and for one who admires you, two will watch your antics with secret contempt. Therefore, avoid boasting. To speak of your own money, connections, or the luxuries at your command is in very bad taste. It is quite as ill-bred to boast of your intimacy with distinguished people. If their names occur naturally in the conversation of the, in the course of conversation, it is very well. But to be consistently, constantly quoting, Oh, my friend, Governor Cece so-and-so, or Oh, my intimate friend, the President, is pompous and in bad taste. While refusing the part of gesture yourself, do not, by stiff manners or cold contemptuous looks, endeavor to check the innocent mere of others. It is in excessively bad taste to drag in a grave subject of conversation when pleasant bantering talk is going on around you. Join in pleasantly and forget your graver thoughts for the time. You will win more popularity then, if you chill the merry circle or turn your innocent gaiety to grave discussions. When thrown into society of literary people, do not question them about your works. To speak in terms of admiration of any work to the author is in bad taste. But you may give pleasure if, by a quotation from their writings or a happy reference to them, you prove that you have read and appreciated them. It is extremely rude and pedantic when engaged in general conversation to make quotations in a foreign language.
to use phrases which admit uh, of a double meaning is ungentlemanly. And if addressed to a lady, they become positively insulting. If you find you are becoming angry with a conversation, either turn to another subject or keep silence. You may utter in the heat of passion words which you would never use in a calmer moment and which you would bitterly repent when they were once said. Never talk of ropes to a man whose father was hanged. It is vulgar. <laughs> but popular proverb. But it makes a point. Avoid carefully subjects which may be construed into personalities and keep a strict reserve upon family matters. Avoid, if you can, seeing the skeleton in your friend's closet. But if it is paraded for your special benefit, regard it as sacred confidence and never betray your knowledge to a third party. If you have traveled, right, gossip, new news. If you have traveled, although you will endeavor to improve your mind in such travel, do not be constantly speaking of your journeyings. Nothing is more tiresome than the man who com commences every phrase with when I was in Paris or in Italy I saw when asking questions about persons who are not known to you in a drawing room avoid using adjectives or you may inquire of a mother by saying who is that awkward ugly girl and be answered, sir, that is my daughter. <laughs> oh boy. Avoid gossip. In a woman, it is detestable. But in a man, it is surely, utterly despicable. Do not officiously offer assistance or advice in general society. Nobody will thank you for it. Ridicule and practical joking are both marks of a vulgar mind and low breeding. Avoid flattery. A delicate compliment is permissible in conversation, but flattery is broad, coarse, and to sensible people disgusting. If you flatter your superiors, they will distrust you, thinking you have some selfish end. If you flatter ladies, they will despise you, thinking you have no other conversation. A lady of sense will feel more complimented if you converse with her upon instructive, high subjects, high subjects, than if you address to her only the language of compliment. In the latter case, she will conclude that you consider her incapable of discussing higher subjects. And you cannot expect her to be pleased at being considered merely a silly, vain person who must be flattered into good humor. Avoid the evil of giving utterance 
to inflated expressions and remarks in common conversation. It is a somewhat ungrateful task to tell those who would shrink from the imputation of a falsehood that they are in the daily habit of uttering untruths. And yet, if I proceed, no other course than this can be taken by me. It is of no use to adopt half measures. Plain speaking saves a deal of trouble. The example about to be given by me of exaggerated expressions are only a few of the many that are consistently in use. Whether you can acquit yourself of the charge of occasionally using them, I cannot tell. But I dare not affirm for myself that I am altogether guiltless. Quote, I was caught in the wet last night and the rain came down in torrents. Unquote. Most of us have been out in heavy rains, but a torrent of water pouring down from the sky would a little surprise us after all. Oh, I am wet to the skin and have not a dry thread upon me. Unquote. Where these expressions are once used correctly, they are used 20 times in opposite to the truth. Oh, I tried to overtake him, but in vain, for he ran like lightning. <laughs> the celebrated racehorse Eclipse is said to have run a mile in a minute, but poor Eclipse is left sadly behind by this expression. Oh, here's another one. Oh, he kept me standing out in the cold so long I thought I should have waited forever. There is not a particular particle of probability that such a thought could have been for one moment entertained. All right, people, I'm getting bored. Bye.